I would like for you to take your Bibles and go to Isaiah chapter 6 as we start our uh, service this morning and just want to kind of get your mind directed toward the issue of holiness. Because even though we're in the midst of this long, arduous task of going through chapter 2 in Second Peter, what we're met with is really the behavior of those without God. Um, those who are godless. But on the other hand, those of us who know the Lord as our Savior... We're to be godly. Our behavior is to be like our Lord. And um, that's really a, uh, an incredible thought that Peter writes in the first letter he wrote, that they were to be holy in all their behavior uh, because it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. And I'm like, wow, you know, I mean, come on. When we read in Isaiah chapter 6 in the Revelation, it, it's not just that God is holy, but he's holy Holy, holy. And so many times men try to make God like, you know, he's right next to me. Instead of the fact that he is separate, that's the word, he's separate, separate, separate from us. And, let, and yet he wants relationship with us. And so when you think about it from that perspective, then his demands become a whole lot different. Um, it's not just this legalistic do this and don't do that, but it's, Wow, God's holy, 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 and he wants a relationship with me. But yet he does have demands on those that he's called out. And so I wanted to remind us of that this morning um, from Isaiah 6. If you could stand with me as we read God's word. It says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And notice Isaiah's response. And then I said, woe is me. I've always appreciated the fact that he started with himself. Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. You know, the only one that can forgive sins is the Lord. And aren't you thankful that he does? If you're in Christ today, right, it's because of the Lord. It's because of what he did. It's because of the fact that he called you out. Right? It's all about Him. Salvation is not about us. It's about the Lord. And so this morning, I wanted to remind us of that as we come into our time together today in the Word, as we think about the requirement for the believer and that being holiness. Let's bow together and pray. Lord, we thank You for this passage in Isaiah which reminds us of the fact that You are holy, holy, holy. There is no one like You, Lord. 
And I pray that our minds um, would receive that today. That we would not only um, acknowledge that you are holy, 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 but that we would understand it. Um, That it would take root in our heart. That you are holy, holy, holy. That there is no one like you. The whole earth is full of your glory. Lord, I pray that that would translate into then not only an awareness of who you are, but that would translate into an awareness of what you desire us to be. You desire us to be holy in all our behavior. And I pray that, Lord, we would think about that because we represent you wherever we go, whatever sphere of influence. If we say that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, then we represent you. Uh, in all the places that we go, that, that you take us throughout the week, uh, we represent you. And I pray, Lord, that you would have that on our minds today, that we would have this understanding that, that it's your desire that we be this way. It's not just somebody else passing on information, but this comes from you. And so we just uh, pray, Lord, that today would honor you, that everything that's done would honor you, that, um, Lord, we've come prepared. I pray that we're prepared to worship you, that it's not um, something that's just last minute in our schedule, but that we're here today because we want to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that the service would be all about him and all for his honor and all for his glory. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Jesus, you are, you are everything I'm not.
right now I believe I believe I believe Jesus you are Jesus you are you are everything I'm not and everything that I want to be Jesus you the maker of my heart finish what you started in me Jesus you are you are everything I'm not and everything that I want to be Jesus you are you are the maker my heart finish what you started in me finish what you started in me finish what you started in me forgiven because you were forsaken I'm accepted you were condemned I'm alive and well your spirit is within me because you died and rose again I'm forgiven because you were forsaken, I'm accepted, you were condemned, I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died and rose again, amazing love, how can it be? My King would die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I'll honor you. I'm forgiven. Because you were forsaken, I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died and rose again. Amazing love, It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I'll honor you. 
Jesus, you are my King. Jesus, you are my King. Amazing love, how can it be? That you, my King, would die for me. It's my joy to honor you. Amazing love, how can it be? That you, my King, would die for me. Amazing love, amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you. I honor you in all I do. I'll honor you in all I do. Let me honor you. What can I wash away? But the blood of Jesus, what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the blood that makes me white as snow. No other fountain. But the blood of Jesus For my pardon this I see Nothing but the blood of Jesus For my cleansing this my plea Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, no. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white no other fountain, no, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, 
precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, no, nothing but the blood of I am blessed. I am prosperous. Your words will become your reality. When you name it and you claim it and it still doesn't happen, what am I doing wrong, God? I felt like I was walking on eggshells all the time because it felt as if at any moment I can go to hell because I'm not doing enough. You know what the Bible tells Christians to do? Examine yourself. Are you coming to God for God? Or are you coming to God so that you can ultimately get what your heart's truly after and that's something else? You can grow up in the church, hear a gospel about freedom, and still work your tail off trying to maintain the image that you're a good person. 99.9% .9 of people are not bad people. They may make poor choices, but deep down, they've got a good heart. And my wife looked back at me and she said, why are you yelling at the television? And I said, because that's not the whole gospel. Following Christ is not about this list of things you need to go do for Him. Following Christ is about this sense of awe over what He's done for you. That when you come in contact with Him, you change. When the heart changes, everything changes. Wow, like Jesus died for my sins? That's so convenient for me. I don't have to go to hell, but I'm going to go do my own thing, <laughs> which is not the gospel at all. What do you think happens when we die? We're going to be fine. If hell didn't exist, neither would this ministry. Seriously, I would be out surfing. I'd have long hair, just living for myself, but I can't. You, you don't want to burn, do you? Right. Which, like, if that's the best message you have, that's just a crap message. The answer for being unloving is not to be overtolerant. That's not the right answer. Welcome to real Christianity. The origins of the prosperity gospel are not Christian at all. It is cultic theology that has been wrapped in some Christian lingo. You've been accused of getting the gospel wrong. It's a damnable heresy that hurts people and sends them to hell. People ain't worrying about no blood on no cross. They worrying about how they gonna make it through the day. Is this gospel, is this good news primarily about you? I am a victor, not a victim. I'm gonna live a long, productive, faith-filled life. Or is this a message about God? 
The cross embodies both the wrath and the love of God. We see that as a contradiction, and yet God doesn't. The cost of accepting the gospel could be your family. The people you love most in the world, you must love Jesus more. But it's worth it. I opened that word, and nothing was ever the same. Go make disciples. That is the call of every believer. I've got to share this news. If I want to believe God for a $65 million plane, you cannot stop me. Christianity has been built and has carried through the generations on the blood of men, not on the wealth. How can I just continue to live my life as if this isn't true? So I abandoned my version of the American dream, and I said, I will do what I can to take the gospel to the nations. Well, that video is filled with some different stuff, isn't it? I'm not believing the Lord for a $65 million plane, but I was thinking maybe you guys might want to contribute to a BMW fund. Y'all want to do that? Because I hate to fly anyway. Oh, my goodness. You know, what's sad about that whole thing is that there are people out there who are, who are hooked. And um, they're being deceived. And they give toward the $65 million plane. Because they believe that's somehow going to equate to righteousness before God. And it's not. The righteousness that we need is the righteousness of Christ. That's it. Because in and of ourselves, as Paul wrote, there is none righteous, not even how many? Not even one. I like when the young people answer. Isn't that awesome? It means they're learning God's word. By the way, just a quick uh, commercial for Vacation Bible School. It's a great week. Appreciate everybody who was involved uh, during the week, and just thank the Lord. So many people that um, had opportunity to build into the lives of these young people God's Word, and that's what it's all about. It's all about building God's Word into the lives of these young people. That's what lasts. That's what matters. That's what we want our kids to say whenever we die, that my father, my mother, were faithful to the Word of God. That's what matters. It's not all the health and the wealth and what you leave them materially, but it's what you leave them spiritually. That's what matters in the long run. How do they see you going through trials and tribulations in this life? Are you living a life that's set apart before them, right, which is difficult to do, but recognizing the fact that our kids and our grandkids are always watching us. They're always listening to us. Um, they hear everything that we say. They, they watch everything that we do. And so um, times like this, this last week, when there are different people involved in their lives, I think is very important. And I just want to thank all of you who were a part of that. I want you to take your Bibles and go to Second Peter in chapter 2. And we're making progress. We're about almost done with the chapter. And the reason I started this morning in the book of Isaiah was because I wanted us to get this in our minds that number one, God is holy, holy, holy. He's the one that we look to. Oftentimes in the Christian life you find 
people looking across the aisle and saying something like this, I'm not as bad as that person. But the true measurement is not that person, right? We, we get our directives from God. He is the one that is holy, holy, holy. And what we found to this point in chapter 2, which is a chapter of warning, we've seen the attitude of these false teachers, and we said from the text that their attitude is one of arrogance. They really don't need anybody, including God. They need people because they need to use people and manipulate people and get from people, but they don't really want you. False teachers don't. Although they appear they do. They have a message. I mean, did you hear those guys that we just watched on the video? Right? Their message is very soothing to those that are listening. Um, but the reality is that they care nothing about the people. They care all about themselves, and that's what we've seen in Second Peter chapter 2. And, and even to the point of arrogance uh, in verses 10 through 13. And then we seen, secondly, he describes in this chapter their behavior. So he goes from their attitude to their behavior, and their behavior in one word is godless. Godless. They are led by the flesh. And the question becomes for you and for me as we're thinking through this today, are we being led by the Spirit, or are we giving in to the deeds of the flesh? That is very difficult. Galatians 5, Paul talks about that passage, he says, are you walking by the Spirit or are you being led by the flesh? And we want to say this, it is easy to succumb to the things of this world. It's easy, right? I mean, who doesn't want to hear a message like these guys are provocating? God wants you to be rich, right? That's the American dream. Be rich, have things. God wants you to be healthy. He doesn't want you to be sick. And if you're sick, it's because you don't have enough faith. And that is baloney. I mean, look at Job. He was an upright, blameless man. Next scene you have, everything's taken from him, and he's sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But at the end of the day, the message to Job was, who is like me, Job? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? See, and a lot of times I think when it comes to the false teachers, they're trying to get into the heart, if you will, of man. And trying to say, hey, look, God wants this for you. Right? He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be wealthy. And so we've seen that their attitude is one of arrogance, and we look at their behavior, and in one word, they're godless. And I want us to pick up here this morning with the idea that they are godless. But before we do, I want us, as I took you to that, that passage in the beginning of the service, I want us to see what the Lord's will is for his church, right? Because if we're just looking at the chapter and we're being warned about these guys, I mean, that's great, but then we need to, we need to focus in on what does God want for us? What is it that God wants for us as the church? Well, Interestingly enough, in the first letter, Peter wrote these words. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust. In other words, your life before Christ. To the former lust, which were yours in your what? In your ignorance. Um, 
Peter's saying this, you were living apart from God in your ignorance. You're without him, right? And a pagan who is without God is going to act like a what? A pagan. I'm often shocked that Christians are surprised by how pagans act. Please don't be. They're living according to the flesh, according to their own desires. Peter says to them, as obedient children, do not be conformed, meaning you could be. <laughs> it's easy to get led down that road. You say, well, you know, I'm past that now. I'm a believer. Oh, my friends, listen to me. The temptation every single day is in front of us to live as godless men and women. Peter says, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. And I love this next part, but, right, circle that, three-letter word, very key, but like the Holy One who called you, who called you out, who separated you. That's what happened at the moment of salvation. God called you out of a life of ignorance and placed you into Christ. Now, that's a pretty good deal. He called you out of a life of godlessness, and he made you a new creation in Christ. That's a pretty good deal. It's all about what he did for you in your life, and that's what Peter says. But like the Holy One who called you, he called you out, be holy, be separate is the word there, be separate yourselves in some of your behavior. Is that what it says? No. Be separate yourselves in all your behavior. Ugh. You know that demands practically in our lives? That demands a sit down and an opportunity for the Spirit of God to examine us. Where are we? Where are we? In relationship to attitude and actions. He says, be holy in all your behavior. Your behavior at home. Your behavior at the office. Your behavior at school. Right? There are so many out there today, even in what is breaking down as the Bible Belt, that say, I belong to Christ. But it appears to me, from this text, that Peter's concern is about behavior, about the way we act, the way we talk, the way we come across to people. And so, Peter says, Be holy, be separate in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And so the Lord's desire for His church simply is holiness. You say, well, how does that look? Well, if we're going to understand how it looks, we have to get in the book. What does it mean that we're holy? What does it mean that we're separate? Practical example. It means this, that the money that you have is not your money, but it's God's money. It belongs to him. He gave it to you. Right? The message of false teachers that we're going to see, it's all about receiving. They want more and more and more and more. And yet for the church, God wants us to understand that he's the giver of all good things. He gives it to us. And so we're responsible with what he gives us. We're responsible, right, to, to be good stewards of that. And so that's one practical example. I like what J.C. Ryle 
uh, says about this issue of holiness. J.C. Ryle was a prominent preacher of the 19th century. He wrote, this holiness is the habit of being of one mind with God. I want you to think about that for just a minute. If we're going to be one mind with God, how's that going to happen? How's it going to happen? Class? Huh? I need a new one. I need to conform to him. I'm sorry? Yeah, spend time with him. If I'm going to... If I'm going to know what the mind of God is, I have to understand God's word. I need to look at the life of Christ. How did he live? Right? Um, there's one prominent teacher in Louisiana, Jesse Duplantis, who wants a $52 million jet. And one of his statements was, if Jesus was here, he wouldn't be riding on a donkey, would he? And I'm like, how do you know what he'd be doing? You know what Jesus would be doing? He would be doing the same thing he did when he was on earth. He'd be preaching the gospel. And see, the problem with false teachers is that the, at the center, it's not the gospel. It's a false gospel. It's what, listen, it's what... It's what you want that matters, not what God wants. Well, holiness, according to J.C. Rawls, is the habit of being of one mind with God, according as we find his mind described in Scripture. It is the habit of agreeing in God's judgment. I really like this. Hating what he hates. You know, a good place to start with that would be to go back to the Old Testament and look at what God told Israel that he hated and that he wanted them to pay attention to in the form of the Ten Commandments. You know, God hates divorce. He hates it. Our culture has forgotten that he hates it. He hates divorce. Have, have you seen what it does to families? He hates divorce. Young people, listen to me. You're going to get married... Statistics prove it, right? It's going to happen. 95% still get married. The question becomes, are you going to stay in that marriage? Be committed to it. Now, let me back up for a minute. What matters is how you go into that marriage. Well, I'm a believer, but he's not, but I'm going to get him saved. No, you're not. The mindset is this, that Young people, listen, this is a very important message. You need to go into a marriage equally yoked. That means you need to have, listen, not just a Christian. Right? People say, well, he's a Christian or she's a Christian. But if you're a growing Christian, which you should be, then you need to marry another growing Christian. Because you might be marrying somebody who's like, well, does it really matter where we go to church? Does it really matter how we raise our kids? It all matters. I could talk about that for 45 minutes. Hating what he hates. Then it says loving what he loves. And measuring everything in this world by the standard of his word. And so this book that you have in front of you, so a lot of you have phones. <laughs> the phone that you have in front of you that has God's word, right? That's what matters. 
So we measure everything based on the Word of God, and that's what J.C. Ryle says in terms of holiness. I want us to review just for a second, um, because as we come to this passage in 2 Peter, we're going to find these guys, I mean, they're not holy at all. They're all about themselves. Their behavior is godless. We saw last time together that they are shameful, they're a shameful presence at Love Feast. And Love Feast was the gathering of believers together for the purpose of remembering Christ and what he had done. And not only that, but being together as believers, which is very critical. We saw that and from Jude 12, um, verse 12, it says, These men are hidden wreaths in your love feast when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves. So there's no fear in these guys. No fear of the Lord, right? There's no fear there. They care for themselves. They're selfish people. So we saw their shameful presence at these love feasts. The second thing that we saw from the passage is their heart is continually focused on sexual sin. The phrase in, that Peter uses is having eyes full of adultery and that never cease from sin. So that means practically this, that every woman they saw, they wanted to have sex with. That's what it means in the original language. And notice this, he says, not only they had having eyes full of adultery, which is present tense, continual action, but notice what he, else he says about their eyes. Having eyes full of adultery, and their eyes never cease from sin. Say, wow, that I can relate to that whole issue of problem with the eyes, whether you're a man or a woman, that, that does happen. But you know the difference between these guys and those of us that belong to Christ? These guys, it's continual. All the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. There's no conviction there because the Spirit doesn't reside in them. But for you and for me, it's different, right? We have those moments, don't we? Where we lust and we should not. Everybody has. You have blood flowing through your veins. You have. It's an ugly picture of the flesh. It's just the truth. And so the great part for the believer is that this does not have to be a habitual lifestyle. There can be victory. We see that in the form of Joseph and his life, but the passage for us is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, just that first part. Flee immorality, run from it. And what do we find Joseph doing in Genesis? Run, 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 run. How often did he run? Every day. Every day he ran. That means, guys, that some of you need to run from your phones. <laughs> uh, some of you need to run from the TV, right? That's, that's the truth. Right? That's where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. You have to run from those things that cause you to go down the road of fleshly desires. The Lord's mind for his church is purity. I don't know who wrote this, but I like that purity is not just the way we act, but it is our entire conversation. I worked a job years ago where I had to be at the job at about 10 till 7 in the morning. And um, I was one of the sales guys. And um, 
there was another gentleman that worked for the company, and um, he was married. He had children. He even had grandchildren. And every single Monday, you know what his conversation was about? It wasn't about his wife. It wasn't about his kids. It was about the women that he was pursuing. Every single Monday. I thought after one Monday it would go away. The next Monday, same thing. And the next, and the next, and the next, and the next. Obviously, a man that needed the Lord. Just like these false teachers, they needed the Lord. Um, Conversation, guys, is important. That's the reason I bring up that story. You've been in situations, haven't you, where people have been talking, saying things they shouldn't be saying, and what do you do? Do you exit? Do you stay there and listen? I think it's good to exit. Certainly not good to keep hearing it. Purity is not just the way we act, but it's our entire conversation. It is our thoughts, our words, and deeds that show our true heart's intent. Purity is a part of the new man when we become a Christian. Victory is possible as a new creation in Jesus Christ. And that is the truth. Guys, while these false teachers had this lifestyle and focus on lust and sexual sin, that does not need to be for us as believers. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote this. You don't need to turn there, but in Ephesians chapter 5, he tells these believers, he says, Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma, And listen to what he says. And he's talking about their walk as believers. But do not let immorality or impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. There must be no filthiness and silly talk. Question. Is there filthiness and silly talk in our culture today? It's all around us. He says, or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. (laughs) He says, for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And so the Lord cares about, very much, about our purity. About the fact that, you know, just as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, our body is his. Belongs to him. So we need to submit our bodies to him. Well, let's look at 2 Peter and see what else he says about these guys. Uh, In verse 14, he says, Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. That's their pattern. Then thirdly, look at this. Their strategy is to lure others into their lifestyle. Notice the phrasing, enticing unstable souls. That word enticing also occurs down in verse 18. That's what it says. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality. Um, The word entice is an interesting word. It means to lure in, right? Um, It's the idea of a fisherman who uses bait, right, 
to trick the fish, so to speak, so that he can gain the fish. And so in this context, Peter's saying that these guys are enticing, baiting who? Who are they baiting? It's interesting, the phrase he uses. He says they're baiting unstable souls. So then the question becomes, what does unstable mean? And then how do we know if we're vulnerable? The word unstable means to be unsettled. It means not remaining in a secure position. It means vacillating back and forth, right? Yes, no, yes, no, I'm not sure. Right, it's like, it's like uh, being a fan. You're, you're vacillating back and forth. Am I going to be an Alabama fan? Or am I going to be an Auburn fan? Or am I going to be an Alabama fan? Or am I going to be an Arkansas fan? Right? But a, but a believer is secure. A believer is stable. A believer stands on the truth of God's word. I heard a, a story about a man who, a pastor who, retired his Bible. That's interesting. He kept, no, this is a good story. He kept, he kept uh, preaching, but he, he had worn out his Bible so much that the church he was at, he, he retired his Bible, and they had um, something built underneath the stage where he could see it, and uh, his Bible was encased there. And so every time he went up to speak, the visual was and the reminder was, I'm standing on God's Word. It's the word of God that I'm standing on. And he said, even after he left the church, the question became, Did you, were you going to take the Bible with you? And he said, no. Because I want every pastor and teacher who comes up on the stage to recognize they need to stand on the word of God. Right? It's not this back and forth. I don't know if I can trust God. I can trust his word. I really want the approval of the people. No, it's not about any of that. I'm standing on the word of God. Right? And so... The question becomes, for us, how does one know if he or she is vulnerable? Let me give you some thoughts on that. A person is vulnerable if they're not in the Word. A person is vulnerable if they're not in the Word. A person is vulnerable if they're not on their knees continually. And then thirdly, a person is vulnerable if they're not being equipped. So I want to repeat those. You're vulnerable, you are vulnerable, if you're not in the Word. I am vulnerable if I'm not in the Word. You are vulnerable if you're not on your knees depending on the Lord. I am vulnerable if I'm not depending on the Lord. You are vulnerable if you're not being equipped. I am vulnerable if I'm not being equipped. John MacArthur writes it this way. Those who are lured into their behavior are unstable in their faith. In other words, they're not sure what they believe. Is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Answer? Plus anything else? No. Well, but that's not what these guys seem to be promoting that we just saw earlier. I mean, did you hear the, the, the young lady talking, right? I feel like I'm walking on exos. Am I doing something wrong? It's got to be my problem. That's totally opposite from the gospel. 
I have a problem, and you have a problem. It's called sin. I got great news. God took care of the problem. His son, Jesus Christ, willingly took my sin debt on himself. So it's not about me, and it's not about, I, I didn't do this or I didn't do that. It's all about what the Lord has done. So those who are lured into their behavior, unstable in their faith, he says, unstable in their doctrine. Let me ask you a question. How important is doctrine? To the majority of the church today, I don't think it's that important. I don't. I don't think people choose churches based on doctrine much anymore. I really don't. I think they choose churches based on how it feels when I walk into the congregation. How does it feel? Well, am I getting this good vibe or not? I don't even know what a vibe is, right? I mean, am I, am I getting that? Am I getting that vibe I need to have? Right? I mean, did they make the service all about me in this week? Like, did you encourage me today? Because if you didn't, then it wasn't productive. Let me just say, this is in my wheelhouse. I'm all about doctrine. I'm all about the book. And you know, you find that in terms of the prophets and apostles... They were all about the book, too. And so we're in good company. You just read the book of 2 Timothy this afternoon after you eat lunch. Then you'll see how important doctrine was. Listen, Paul was nervous about this dude, Timothy. He was timid. Right? We have plenty of timid pastors and teachers out there today who are afraid, this is a sad statement, who are afraid to say the three-letter word sin. Because if I say that we all have sinned, I've offended that person, and they may not come back, and they may not contribute to the ministry. And I say, hey, you need to tell that person about sin. Because the Bible tell, tells us that we're all sinners. The Bible tells us. It's not the authority of Man, it's the issue. It's the authority of God in his word. So those who are lured into their behavior, unstable in their faith, unstable in their doctrine, easily unsettled and drawn into errors of sin. <laughs> and maybe there's no sin more obvious today to me than the gratification of the flesh. Man, we live in that culture. I need to gratify myself. That's the message of these false teachers. If you notice in 2 Peter chapter 2, in verse 18, he tells us that, that their enticement is to the flesh. Notice, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires. You know, what's interesting is Peter, back up in 14, that word enticing is present tense. It means all the time they are enticing. They never stop enticing. <laughs> They're faithful. Got to give it to them. They're faithful in their false teaching. They're enticing unstable souls. Um, I wanted to take an opportunity to talk to you about that third one. I said we're vulnerable if we're not being equipped. Um, there's a survey. It's worked out so well. In your bulletin. Take, take that survey out of your bulletin for me. If you have a bulletin. 
This fits so perfectly into this. God's timing so perfect. It's a small group survey. And if you haven't been attending Grace for a, a long period of time, you may not know about our small groups, but I believe that our small groups are the key to further spiritual growth and development in your life. I believe they're absolutely key. Can I say that one more time? They're absolutely key to your growth and development as a believer. And here's what's so awesome. Right? You get to do that with about 10 to 12 people. And you know what's so awesome? Because I've been involved in small groups, my wife and I have, and uh, in a home, and we sit in that house, and there's about 10 to 12 of us, and we get to know those guys really well. And you know what we're doing with these guys? We're, we're studying the Word together, and, and we're praying together, and we're fellowshipping together, right? I mean, it's awesome. We eat together, we read together, and study together, and pray together. Does it get any better than that? Right? You start out with good southern cooking and you go all the way to eating God's word. That's great stuff. And you get to do that with 10 to 12 people. And I want to tell you, I believe this with all my heart, that the key for us as a body of believers is that we be involved together in this. There needs to be a commitment on our part to be equipped. Because I'll say it like this. If, if the only time you're being equipped is on Sunday mornings from 10.30 to 10 to 11.45, that's insufficient. I'm sorry, I'm just being honest. I need it like you need it. I need to be in that small group. I need to be taught. I need to be equipped. I need to be encouraged. I need people to pray about events. You know what? There's blood that flows through these veins. I'm a regular person. And I have hurts, and I have anxieties, and I have grief. And you know what's nice about the body of Christ? It's nice when you're going through something to have somebody walk with you through that, isn't it? It's nice to have that. And so I'm just encouraging you, I guess strongly encouraging you, because I care about you, to be involved in these small groups here at Grace. And there's an anonymous small group survey in your bulletin I'd encourage you to fill that out. There's plenty of opportunities to be involved. We're looking for your input in terms of, in terms of what groups may come about, whether it's the attributes of God, the book of James. You'll see as you go through there. You check it off, it's pretty elementary. Right? This will be the easiest test that you've ever taken. Okay? So you take that test. If you would, please, drop them in the baskets on your way out. We would really, really appreciate it very, very much. But that's part of that idea of being equipped, all right? So we see that they lure people into their lifestyle. And then the last thing we're going to look at this morning is that their heart is trained in covetousness. Notice this verse 14. Having eyes full of adultery and that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. That phrase, accursed children, simply means they're marked out for judgment. It's interesting that at the end of all these different 
sections, he's talking about their judgment. It's like, hey, they're doomed sure, right? The end of their road is not a big smile on their face. The end of their road is destruction. So he says, having a heart trained in greed. Um, that word trained is an interesting word. We get our word gymnasium from that word trained. It was used um, in the Grecian games. It was a picture of athletes who rigorously disciplined themselves to participate in a game, like, for example, wrestling, right, or boxing. That's the picture here, that an athlete would train rigorously to be involved in that game. Um, how many of you have in your mind great thoughts when you think of a gym? Gymnasium, the great thoughts come to your mind. Anybody? Nobody in here. Great thoughts, right? You do. Amen. This brother in the front does. And when I think about gymnasium, I was thinking about that this week. I thought, well, there's two or three things that come to my mind. Number one, dodgeball. So first thing that came to my mind, I thought, gymnasium, that's interesting. Um, when I was in school, we played dodgeball a lot. But we always had these rules. You couldn't hit the girls, right, above the waist. You know what the guys did? They followed the rules, right? That's what guys do. No, we hit them, right? We were always in trouble. So I, I thought, well, the gymnasium brings my mind back to that, but it also brings my mind back to college. And in college, I played for a coach, Coach Johnson, and he set up different stations in the gymnasium. And all these stations were, the intent was to get us perfectly conditioned, so to speak, so that we could play basketball. So that we could run up and down that court without wavering one moment. Well... The idea here is that they trained in order to be professionals in the arena of greed. Um, the Apostle Paul tells us that we're to be opposite of that. We're to be content. We're not to be greedy. 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6, verses 6 through 10, the Apostle Paul, look what he says. But godliness is a mean of great, means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world so that we, can take, we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Notice the language here. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Look at the desire. Those who want to get rich for the love of money. We certainly live in a culture that has that at its heart. The love of money. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pain. There's a passage in the book of Titus, and I want you to turn there real quick this morning. Titus chapter 1. This is an important section. So scroll on your phone or turn your pages. Titus chapter 1. There's an example here of those who were greedy. The Lord wants us to be content with the things that we have. But here Paul warns of those who would take advantage of even entire families. 
it's interesting that it's set in the context of leadership within the church. And so I want you to back up to verse 5, and so you can get that kind of that flavor for that. Look at verse 5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you might set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man be above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach, as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching that he may be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. This is a pretty high standard, is it not? Man, you look at that and you're like, whoa. We shouldn't expect less. God has high standards. <laughs> and so those who shepherd the church need to meet the standards. And they're not man's standards, they're God's standards. Because in essence, they're your spiritual leaders and they're shepherding you and they're protecting you and they're feeding you. But notice what Paul says, verse 10. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers. In other words, there's nothing there. <laughs> there's no substance. Empty talkers. Uh, we saw that in the beginning. Those, there were some guys on there, empty talkers. God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to be wealthy. Listen, really, at the end of the day, 99.9% .9 of all men, they, they have good hearts. Wrong. Men's hearts are deceptively wicked. He says, so there are many empty talkers. There's no substance. By the way, those who are worth listening to hold this book in high regard. They refer to this book. I think a lot of times people in congregations are looking for a humorous, great storyteller guy who's going to keep their attention for 40 minutes. Well, all right, I guess there are those guys out there. But you know what? God's Word is what we need to be looking at. That's what we do here at Grace. He says, for there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers. He says, especially those of the circumcision, Judaizers, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families. You think about the impact of some of those false teachers that you saw at the beginning of the video, beginning of the service on the video. Upsetting entire families. Taking captive people's bank accounts, literally, so that they can have what they want. He says, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. <laughs> I like what he says at the beginning of verse 11, who must be silenced. You say, how in the world can that happen? How do we silence these false teachers? I'll tell you, one at a time. You standing on the truth. You have a sphere of influence. You do. And I'm sure within that sphere of influence, you have people who go, 
Oh, I think Joel Osteen's the greatest teacher. Don't you? And you say, no, I don't. Right? That's what we should say. Some of the things he says are true. That's what makes him so difficult. Some of the things he says are true. Joyce Meyer, isn't she one of the greatest Bible teachers out there? Oh, she tells truth, but all throughout that truth, it's littered with what is false. Right? Was that good for my ears? No. I'll tell you how we silence them. One person at a time. One person at a time. And it's that visual of that pastor who had his Bible encased underneath the, the pulpit area. We stand on the Word of God. That's what we do. We don't have to fight them. We fight them with the truth. We give them what God's Word says. Notice the way he ends that. Who must be silenced. Why? Because they are upsetting whole families. Isn't that amazing? It's not just one or two. Whole families. I just wonder, after watching that video, how many families have been taken captive through one of those guys? <laughs> you know, you think about the perspective of gambling. Gambling takes people captive. Right? It does. It ruins whole households. Alcohol... It takes people captive. People who are alcoholics, it takes... Listen, it's not just the person who's the alcoholic that suffers, is it? No, it's the entire family. And so think about it in terms of false teachers. Those who are buying into the lie of the false teachers, their whole families are being taken captive. You know, it's, it's interesting the way that the apostle frames it. What's at the center with these false teachers? Sex and greed. Sex and greed. Sex and greed. What's at the heart of our culture? Sex and greed. What's at the heart of false teachers? Sex and greed. Well, the Lord wants us to give him our bodies. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. And what, he, what does he want us to do with our money? Give it back to him. Acknowledge the fact, number one, that he's given it to us. Right? He's given it to us, and we're the stewards. There's a story told of a guy who was on a big ship that sunk. And it was obvious that the ship was going down, and they only had a few minutes to escape. So all these folks are getting on these lifeboats. They're abandoning everything, and they're jumping in the lifeboats, and except for this one guy. <laughs> and this one guy decides he's going to fill his pockets with all the gold and all the money that he could get in them. So he goes around, and he goes to the different staterooms and to the ship's safe, and he puts everything that he can. He's loaded down with all the gold. And all the silver, all these wonderful things. And so he took just long enough that there were no lifeboats left. So he decided he'd put on a life jacket. And he jumped overboard, happy with the riches that he had. But as his friends who had left quickly looked on, he hit the water and plummeted to the bottom like an anchor. The weight of the gold being too much to allow him to float. 
he sunk. In his greediness, he sunk. Guys, there are people out there today who are being taken captive by these false teachers who are emphasizing things that appeal to the flesh, but at the end, there is, it's all empty. I've got great news this morning. Our message isn't empty. The message of the gospel is not empty. The message of the gospel is a gospel of hope that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. I, I trust this morning that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you this morning for your instruction from your word. And Lord, we look at the picture of these false teachers and we are saddened. It's a sad commentary really, on the life of men and women who are committed to that which is false. And they may even believe they're doing the right thing. But we know, Lord, that their father is the devil, the father of lies, who deceives, who blinds. Lord, I pray that we would take to heart what you tell us in your word in regard to holiness that your desire for us is to be holy as you are holy. To be content with what we have in terms of our finances and what you've given us, Lord. We have so much. We're so blessed. We have beyond what we need. Truly, we're overflowing with abundance. Yet, Lord, it's easy to have a discontented heart. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be given over to, to you in the area of our finances if they're not. And that we would trust you with everything that we have. And, Lord, that we would recognize that you're not only the giver, Lord, but you want us to be good stewards, give back to you. And then, Lord, in the area of our bodies, I pray that our bodies are separated to you. You want us, Lord, to represent you well. And I pray that we would do that this morning, that if there's anyone here that, that needs to kind of evaluate these two areas, that, that, Lord, your Spirit would help all of us to do that this morning. That we would truly be men and women in Christ that are separate from the world, that when the world looks at us, they see a difference, and they want to know what's happened in our lives Help us to take the challenge of being one at a time, standing on your word, so that people recognize that, yes, we are different from the world. So, Lord, I thank you for this morning. I pray that we would be aware and alert to those around us that may not be provocating the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in the wonderful name of Christ I pray all these things. Amen. Let's all stand as we close.
Yeah. 